This podcast is a service of South Canyon Baptist Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. For more information about our church, visit southcanyonbaptist.org. Today we are beginning a four-part life class, and uh, it will last through these four Sundays in May. And uh, the, the name of the class in its entirety is going to be Equipped. Tools for Intentional Discipleship. For those of you who were at our family meeting or maybe since the family meeting have had the opportunity to see the videos that we've sent out uh, about our vision and our, um, what we sense God is calling us to as a church, one of the two things that we have focused on are going to be emphasizing throughout 2021 and beyond is more prayer and this morning in this class going for the next few weeks is going to help us as we think about the other one which is more discipleship we want to be more engaged we want our church to be more engaged in discipleship and so this class for these four weeks is going to hopefully give you some tools give you some insights into how you can be a part of that and how we can together do that with one another and for one another um, let me pray as we as we begin together this morning. Father, we, we praise you, we thank you for this time that we can come together as a congregation of your people and as we think together as the South Canyon Baptist family, as we think about how we can be engaged in discipling one another mutually being discipled by others and discipling others in our church how we can all build and be a part of building each other up Lord lead us and help us today as we answer the questions why and as we answer the question how I pray that you would begin to allow this to be a foundation that would help us as a church family to be a church where discipleship is taking place and where disciples are being made where we're making more disciples and where we're making better disciples. So, Lord, bless this time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just say, at the end of the class this morning, we have a book that we're going to give to every couple, every family that's here. It's called One-to-One -One Bible Reading, and it's in many ways the basis for some of the things I'm going to be talking about this morning, as well as um, for what we're going to be trying to do as a congregation, particularly in our triads or our discipleship groups of three that I'm going to be talking a little bit about this morning. So one-on-one -on -one Bible reading, that's a copy. You'll get a copy of that uh, after today's class. But what I want us to specifically think about today and talk about in some ways building on what the book talks about is what we're going to call in this class, at least this morning, one with two Bible reading. The book is one-to-one -one Bible reading, and we're going to use the book, but what we're saying is what we're thinking we would like to see our members do is begin to read the Bible with two other people. If, it, if you're a guy with two other men, if you're a female with two other females, to begin to read the Bible with other people in the congregation for the purpose of discipleship, for the purpose of us in that context and in that way, discipling each other, encouraging each other, strengthening each other. Um, so here's what I want us to do as we start. I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine 
that most of our members, let's just say a bare majority even of our members, did what we're going to be talking about this morning. If we, we have about 200 members in our congregation, that doesn't include any, any under 15 who are a part of our church, but we have 200, about 200 members in our congregation. So if the majority of those, which would be 101, if 200 is the number we're using, if 101 members in our church ask two other people to be a part of a triad that they would at least take the initiative in in terms of it getting started and I'm hoping that most all of you who are here this morning will be one of the ones who will ask two other people to read with you, to read the Bible with you regularly for the purpose of discipleship. Think about what that would mean. 101 members who ask two others who may be members, who may be attenders, or who may just be acquaintances that you have through work or that you have in your neighborhood or because your kids play on the same sports team. Think about what that would mean. That would mean that there would be, here's, here's some math, right? 303, right? 303 people who would be engaged in a really small group which makes for a better opportunity for people to know each other and to trust each other and to therefore be able to be transparent with each other, 303 people to be engaged in discipleship as we move forward. Just think about that. To me, that makes me really excited to think of 303 people in this kind of setting, reading the Bible and encouraging one another and helping each other understand and apply the Bible to our lives. So that's the vision, and that's what I want you to imagine with me. But for, the, but for that to happen, it's going to take you, many of you, taking the initiative to be the one who at least begins the process by asking two other people to be a part of a triad with you. So let me answer the question first as we think toward this, why? Because motivation and reason is very important as we think about doing these kinds of things. And the answer, in short, is this. Why should we do this? Why should we be engaged in this kind of disciple-making um, structure? And I think the answer is because Jesus tells us to, right? Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We know this as the Great Commission. You've probably heard this or read this dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times, if you grew up in the church. But I want us to go back to it today to just, again review and realize a couple of things that are important. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus says to his disciples just before he ascends into heaven, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, most of you have probably heard me say before, but I'm going to say again this morning, there's one command, there's one imperative in the words that I just read. And the imperative or the command is to make disciples. All the rest that we read that maybe sounds like a command, they really just define what it means to make disciples. For example, going is a part of what it means to make disciples. Go it says at the beginning of the verse, but that's not a command, but it's connected to the command. 
So it's an explanation of how we do this. So go, or as you are going, you could read, make disciples of all nations. And there's the command, make disciples. And then baptizing them, again, that's not a command in the text here, but it's connected to the command, so it's a part of how we fulfill the command. And then finally, the third word is teaching that we might think is a command, but again, it's connected to the command, but not a command, so it's telling us what it means to make disciples. And so the way we've tried to, as a church, sort of summarize this and make this uh, easy to remember is in our statement that we use quite often as our congregation for our mission is this. We exist to make more and better disciples together. That's really what this command is all about. Going is has to do with making more disciples. As we are going, as we are working, as we are in our neighborhood, as we, our kids are involved in leagues with other families, as we are going, our goal is to help those who are not disciples to be instrumental in leading those who are not disciples to become disciples, making more disciples. Then once a person who was not a disciple becomes a disciple, begins to believe, the goal is that they would be baptized as Jesus talks about here, as a public witness to their faith in Jesus Christ and that they would be enfolded into the church where they're baptized so that they can begin to be discipled in the sense of they want to continue to learn. They've trusted in Christ, but now they want to grow in Christ. They need to grow in Christ. And so as churches, we want to help those who become disciples and who are baptized become better disciples. We make more disciples and then the goal is to make better disciples by teaching them to obey, as Jesus says here, all that I have commanded you. So this is the foundation, obviously, for what we're talking about as we think about more discipleship in our church. And this is super important. Let me show you, also, if you want to turn back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19... Notice what Jesus says in this verse as he calls his disciples, those who he is going to disciple, the twelve that are going to be especially connected to Christ and be trained by Christ. Matthew 4.19 says this, And he said to them, that is to the two particular men, Peter and Andrew, in this passage that he called to be among the twelve, he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, they were fishermen. They fished for fish, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And this has to do primarily with the first part of the Great Commission. Fishing for men is making more disciples. Those men who've not yet been caught, who've not been brought in, who've not been caught in the net of the kingdom of God and brought into his forever family. So, Jesus here is still talking about what he will later command his disciples to do and those with him. He's talking about the first part of that in this verse. Now, look at Hebrews chapter 5. And there's several verses here that I want us to run through quickly because I want to make just a couple of points as we start in terms of why. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. So we know what we're called to do, right? We're to make disciples. That's all believers. We're all to be engaged in that. Making more disciples, making better disciples, 
Making more disciples is catching men, to use the language that Jesus used with Peter and Andrew, catching men, being fishers of men. And then look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. To me, this is a very important verse for every Christian to really grasp. The writer of Hebrews says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. What I want you to focus on is the beginning of the verse. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. What does that mean? He's writing to a church, a congregation of people, as we know from our series, who have a Hebrew background and who've professed faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, you ought to be teachers by now. What does that imply? It implies, I think, or clearly communicates that every believer is supposed to become a teacher. Did you realize that? Every believer is supposed to become a teacher. Why? Because every believer is supposed to do what the Great Commission says. We're supposed to make disciples. That means catching men and women who are not yet believers and then helping those who are believers to grow in their faith as we teach what we have learned. As we teach what we have learned. And he's saying to these recipients of the book of Hebrews that you've been believers long enough. You should have learned enough that you could be teaching what you've learned. But they hadn't. In one sense they had, but in another sense they hadn't. Look at it, it says in verse 14 or verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskillful, is, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Wait, let me back up and do verse 12. It's in the latter part of verse 12 is where I wanted us to focus. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, which means what? They had already been taught this. The basic principles of the oracles of God. So they had been taught the basic principles of the oracles of God, but now they needed to be taught again. Why? Because they had not obeyed or focused on these things as they should, and maybe because they had not turned around and taught others, they need to be taught, is the implication. One of the best ways we learn is by teaching others. That's one of the reasons I'm thankful God called me to do what he called me to do because it's, it's meant a whole lot for me in terms of my faith and in terms of my growth in Christ because as I prepare to teach you, I'm learning. I'm remembering. I'm being reminded. I am having things reinforced in my heart and in my mind and on my conscience. And that's what God wants to be the case for all of us. Now, not all of us are to be pastors. I don't mean that. But all of us are to be teachers. All of us need to take what we've been taught and teach others. Do our best to help others understand certain things. And one of the things you need to understand this morning is this. You can teach someone who's been a Christian longer than you and knows more than you. Here's why. Because teaching is not just discovering something that you didn't know being taught something that you had not understood. Teaching also is encouraging, which means helping a person think about and focus on what they've already learned, but maybe they're not really applying. Now, you may not know that, but what you're doing, here's what I think God has in mind for us. He wants us to share what we are learning 
with other people, things that are freshly affecting us and moving us and convicting us in our own lives, because even if someone else who's been a Christian a lot longer than us has already learned that, it may be that, those, that the thing that we are focused on right now as we're reading God's Word, maybe going through our Bible reading plan, as we share how God is working in us, God can reinforce and encourage that person to remember and to apply and to continue to be shaped by the things that are taught that maybe we are freshly learning. Okay, I've got to go a lot faster than this, sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Another place where we see some things that or see something that points toward what we're talking about in terms of discipleship. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I tell you, somebody there can read it. Just just read it loudly if you'd be willing to. Yes, just verse 2. Thank you, Joel. Yeah. What you've heard, Paul says to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations, you might say, four spiritual generations are referred to here. There's first Paul, and he has taught Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, the things that I have taught you, that you've learned from me, I want you to entrust to faithful men. So Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, and then he says, who will be able to teach others also. So four generations, that's how the gospel is supposed to be proclaimed and how God's word is supposed to be taught and spread throughout the world. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 is another verse that I think is important for us to think about as we think along these lines. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, just the first part of the verse is really what we want to focus on here as we think about what we're talking about in terms of these triads. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We'll pause right there. So here he is, Paul is writing to this church in its entirety, and he's saying to them all, let the word of Christ, which means the gospel or even the word of God in its entirety, possibly, because all of the Bible is about Christ, ultimately, let the word of Christ, the word of God, dwell in you richly. And then, because it does, we should be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So again, we see here that we're all called to be engaged in teaching, not formally necessarily, not behind a podium in front of a large group necessarily, but in a one-on-one -on -one or a one-with-two conversation and that kind of setting. And that's what we're encouraging you guys to be a part of. There's so many texts here. I, I just want to look at two more, and then we'll go on to the how question very quickly. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. And when somebody gets there, if you would just read it loudly, that would be great. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25.
Amen. Yeah. So the, the passage here is saying to us that we are changed by God's Word. And specifically, he's saying to these believers that he's writing to that you were born again. Not by perishable seed, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. So, it's through God's Word that people are born again, that people who are not disciples are led to be and become disciples. And again, that's why we think we want people in these triads to be reading their Bibles together. Because if a person's not a believer, it may be the means, and we certainly believe it will be the means according to God's working, and is, the, is the, the means that God uses to bring people to himself who are not believers, but also as we do it with other members. This will be the means through which we will grow in our faith, and we will become more and more like Christ. And let me just show you one example of that. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16, you may know this one. Again, someone, if you wouldn't mind... Read this loudly for us. 2 Timothy 3.16. Fantastic. So notice the four things there. All scriptures breathed out by God. That is, it's His very word. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God might be complete. The next verse goes on to say... Equipped for every good work. That is, this is how we become more equipped. This is how we become better prepared to live for, live for Christ. So this is the why. These are some of the texts. And I would encourage you later, if you have an opportunity, to look up some of the other texts. Most of these texts are talking about one of two things. The idea of disciple making and the idea that the word of God is the way that disciples are made and the way that better disciples are made. That it's through God's word that we are changed. And so as God's people meeting together, reading God's Word, seeking to understand God's Word and apply God's Word together, it will be a means for us to grow in our discipleship. So now here the question is, how? And let me just give you some things to do as you think about inviting two other people to read the Bible with you. First of all, pray. I want you to notice... What Luke tells us in chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, about what Jesus did before he chose those who would be his disciples. We read earlier his actually inviting Peter and Andrew to follow him and to become fishers of men. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, says this, In these days he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. <clears throat> and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. And then their names are listed in the following verses. The point is, and it's not without significance, that Jesus prayed and spent the night, an entire night, in prayer before he made this decision. Now, obviously, you're not Jesus, and I'm not Jesus, and we're not calling people to become our disciples in order to become apostles or anything like that. So we're talking about something different here. But yet, I think the principle is important. Prayer. To really ask God to give us wisdom, to guide us, 
to think of the two people, if you're a lady, two ladies, if you're a man, two men, the two people that you'll invite to begin to read the Bible with you. So, pray. Pray about that. Then, once you do that and you invite two people to read the Bible with you, and let me say this as I, before I go further. If you invite two people and one's a member, or two, let's say two are members, that's great, members of our church. One is a member, one is an attender, that's, that's great, someone who regularly attends our church but hasn't actually joined yet. I think that would work. But I'm also including acquaintances. And if you do that, it probably would be better <clears throat> for you to ask an acquaintance to be a part of a group and maybe two acquaintances to be a part of the group rather than members and attenders, only because there are going to be different levels of understanding. So if, you're, if, you've, if you've got a neighbor that you'd love to see come to know who Jesus is, maybe you would invite her as a female. And then maybe there would be another female that maybe this neighbor knows that might be interested. And the three of you might read God's Word together. And obviously the goal then would be through the reading of God's Word that you would catch these women and become fishers of women, um, to, to paraphrase Jesus. So what I'm saying is think through, and as you pray, ask God to show you who. Who would you have me ask? Maybe a couple of members, maybe a member and an attender, or maybe a couple of acquaintances. And I'm not saying it has to be that way. It could be that you could ask a member and an acquaintance, and that member might be helpful in terms of the three of your discussions and the, and the third person who maybe doesn't know Christ coming to know Christ. But just think through that is what I'm saying. Think through how that might work best in your situation and how it might work in light of who you know. So pray. Pray for God to lead you. And then once you've asked two other people to read the Bible with you, you need to decide on a day and a specific time and maybe even a place where you will meet together regularly. Maybe it will be at your home. Maybe it will be at a coffee shop. Maybe it will be at a restaurant for breakfast and you'll, after breakfast, have a Bible study together. There are lots of ways that this could work. But just once you pray, once you invite two others and they agree, then begin to think about the best time, the best day, the best place for that to take place. The third thing that I would encourage you to do then would be to pick a book, and by that I mean a book in the Bible that you would read through, or a part of a book of the Bible that you would read through with those that you have in your triad with you. And the book that we're going to give you guys, one per family or per couple at the end of our class, is going to have several suggestions in there about how to do this and how to break it down. I've given you below this bullet point how the book breaks down the book of Colossians. And what the, what the book does is it says, okay, if you're reading with a non-Christian, here are some things that you could consider reading and maybe would consider reading. If you are reading with someone who is a new Christian, then these are some things you might consider reading through with a new Christian. Or if you're reading with established Christians, these are some things that you might read through together. Here's what I think is most important about these suggestions. It's not that you couldn't do one that doesn't fit everyone in your group, but one of the things you would not want to do is read 
something in the book that's suggested to be read for those who are established Christians if you're talking about someone who's an acquaintance, is not a Christian, or maybe is a brand new Christian. Because it might be too hard to do that. So what I would say is, don't read the suggestions for established Christians unless you're sure that the people you're reading with are pretty established Christians in their faith. Really, all of it is fine in one sense, because, for example, the Gospel of Mark is one of the things he suggests for reading with a non-Christian. But that could also obviously be something great for a new Christian or even an established Christian to read. So all of God's Word is good for even the most established Christian, but there are some things in God's Word that if you're not an established Christian, it might be difficult in this context to work through and people might get discouraged. So just keep that in mind as you, um, as you think about which book you might read. And again, like I said, next under this bullet point, I've given you Colossians. And the book breaks it down into nine meetings. So for nine weeks, if you met every week, or for nine months, if you met every month. And our goal would be, our hope would be, the majority would be weekly or biweekly. But it might be in cert certain circumstances that it would have to be once a month for you and the group that you meet with. And if that's the case, then that's, that's the case. But still, that would be more discipleship than if we weren't doing this, right? So that's the idea. We're, we're desiring for there to be more discipleship among the people of our congregation. And he, he breaks it down, as you will see in the book. And you could, on the first time you meet, you would maybe do Colossians 1, 1 through 14. And then the second time, 1, 15 through 23, and so forth. So that's another part of the how. Now, what would you do when you first begin to meet, the very first time you meet? If you are the one who is reading with two, and I'm only saying that because somebody has to start this, and it doesn't necessarily always end up that the one who starts this is going to be the one who talks the most all the time or anything like that. You're not lecturing. We're, we're going to be doing this together. We're going to all be contributing and listening and helping each other. But you're the one, maybe, that initiated this. What we want to do, when the, what you want to do when the meeting starts, the first time you guys meet, is just spend some time getting to know each other. Or maybe to get to know each other better. Now, that would probably be something that you would spend a little bit more time doing in the first few meetings to make sure that you knew each other or that you were um, acquainted with one another better. As a result of that, as time goes by, it might not take quite as long, but you still would want to have time to talk because one of the things we also want to do in this time is share our burdens. So, again, when you think triads, here's what I want you to think. Read your Bible, share your burdens. That's what I want you to think of if you are a part of a triad and if you are someone who's going to initiate that. Read the Bible, share your burdens. And it might be during this time that we have at the beginning where you're just kind of catching up. How's everything going? How can I pray for you? What's going on? Maybe during that time we would be opening up and sharing some things after time because we become comfortable with these two people and we trust them and we know they care about us and they're going to keep confidentiality and they're going to pray with us for the things that we're, we're struggling with. So we want to always do that, but maybe at the beginning it will be a lot more getting to know each other and making sure you know each other or trying to get to know each other better. All right, so you spend some time doing that. You pray for God then next to guide you as you read what you're going to read that day and you attempt together to understand what you've read. 
And by the way, if you're the one who invited the other two, you should probably do this at least the first three or four times. Maybe after that, you have a sense that other people, one of the other persons or maybe both of the others would be comfortable reading. Just reading through the text is what I'm talking about here. Like if you're doing Colossians 1, 1 through 14, you would read through that. Then you would probably do 1, 15 through 23 if you were the one who invited the other two. And then you might continue for a few more weeks until you were sure. And maybe you would even want to ask apart from the meeting if someone else that you thought might be willing would be willing to do that. And if they wouldn't, then no big deal. So we want to engage them as much as they're comfortable and as soon as they're willing, but in the first few weeks we'll be getting to know each other and you'll be taking that initiative. And then here's the big thing that I want us to focus on this morning. It's the next bullet point. Do you see coma? That's an acrostic for how this book that we're going to give you today guides us to read the Bible with other believers or with other people for the purpose of understanding it and then applying it to our lives. So, coma. C stands for context. Let's say you've read, you've just finished reading Colossians 1, 1 through 14. After you've spent some time getting to know each other, you've prayed for God to lead, and then you read it. The first thing you want to think is, okay, C, coma, C, context. You want to try to understand something about the text itself and its context. Is it a letter? Is it a story? Is it a poem? Most of, most of us will be able to understand that or know that pretty quickly, but that's an important thing to keep in mind. Because, for example, a story that is being told is not always telling us, or we're not necessarily meant to think that everything that we see in that story is something that's supposed to be something we're supposed to do. So you see there's a difference between the Bible, like for example Paul writing to a church and giving them instruction, and then in the book of Acts, Luke recording for us something that happened. Because when you're talking about a letter or an epistle like Paul or Peter or John wrote, you've got instruction. And it's pretty clear, we're supposed to do this, we're not supposed to do this. This is what we're being taught is true, this is what we're being told is not true. But when we read stories in the Bible, like in the Gospels or in the book of Acts, stories aren't necessarily always showing us what we ought to do. It's not like we're supposed to follow the example that we have in every story in the Bible. So it's an important thing to keep a distinction between those kinds of things. And then even poems are written in a different way. And I tell you, one of the best ways to figure that out in your Bible, and I'm going to see if I can find one here. Quite often, yeah, for example... Look at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. This isn't necessarily a poem. This is a quote from the Old Testament. But quite often there will be times when you'll see an inset and it's not a quote. And most likely what's being referred to there is like a psalm. or I mean, not like from the book of Psalms, but like a song that was familiar at that time that's being quoted. And that's another thing uh, to keep in mind when you're trying to understand God's Word. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, you see the, how it's inset. At least it is in my Bible, and that may not be in all of the Bibles. It's kind of almost centered in the column rather than beginning on the left side of the, of the margin. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, when you, so when you go through the Bible and you start reading through the Bible, you'll find that 
and that might be an indicator to you that this is a quote from the Old Testament or this is something that was well known at that time, something that was, um, that was, let me show you, I tell you what, I just thought of an example of that. Look at Philippians, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, nope, that's wrong, that's not what I was looking for, let me try one more time. This time I won't announce it until I'm sure it's right. Okay, yeah. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. A lot of 316s in the Bible, right? That are pretty important. And this is one of them. 1 Timothy 3.16. In your Bible, does um, the second line or the third line begin to be inset? as opposed to the rest, okay? Let me just read the verse. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then all of a sudden, it's inset. That's there to help us realize this is not necessarily Paul just saying in his own words what, he is, say, what, it, what is said here. It's something that he's using. And most likely, this was a poem or a song that was known among Christians in that day. And this is, so he's quoting, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. That's an extensive hymn, you might say, about who Jesus is and what he did. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Those kind of things are important. And then in the book, you'll see some guidelines, some help in terms of how you need to think about different kinds of uh, texts that you're reading, if it's a letter, if it's a story, if it's a poem, what you're supposed, how that can help, how you can be helped to understand that correctly. So after the C in coma is O, and that is observation. So after you just kind of think about the context, you also want to begin to observe the text that you're reading. And here are some questions you want to think about as you do that. What is the main point or points in what we've just read? What, is it, what seems to be the main point or the main point or two or three in the text that we've just read? Another thing you want to observe is this. Are there words that are repeated in the text that you read? If so, then that might be something that's being emphasized by the author, and that's something to pay attention to. If you see a word that's repeated, sometimes you'll hear me in my sermons talk about the fact that there are certain words that are repeated multiple times in this context. And maybe they won't be the exact same words, but they'll be very similar words. And so again, you can kind of pick the theme that's being emphasized. Now, let me pause here and encourage you just a little bit, I hope. Some of you may be thinking, yikes, if I read the Bible with two other people and I come to a part, uh, you know, something in the reading that is just really hard for me to understand, what do we do? What do we do? Well, here's the answer. Let me, let me show, even show you a text on this, okay? And I know this one's right because I wrote it down. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. There we go again, 3.16. I'll actually back up to 15 just to help you get a running start on what's being said here. This is Peter, obviously, 2 Peter. And he's actually here talking about Paul and Paul's writings. 
Look at what he says. Peter says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote, according to the wisdom given to him. And here's the focus. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. By the way, that's kind of interesting what he says at the very end there. The other scriptures, which means Paul's writings he understood to be scriptures already too. But the thing I want you to notice is that Peter, and this is so funny to me because I preached through Second Peter while I was your pastor. It's been a long time ago now that I preached through Second Peter. But I remember getting to this text and thinking, Peter is one to talk about Paul being hard to understand because the book of Second Peter is really pretty hard to understand. So he's the pot calling the kettle black, you might say. But anyway, the point he's making is that, yes, there are some things that are hard to understand. And what we want to be careful of is that we don't fall into the category of those who twist those things to our own destruction. So that's what we're saying. You may not be able to, and you may not, in the end, be able to decide among the three of you exactly what everything means. That's why we're saying... What's the main point? What are the main points? And one of the things that I think is really important for you and I to understand is this. I think the Bible is clear. Does that mean that there aren't hard things? No, I, I wouldn't say that, obviously, because the Bible itself says that the Bible has hard things, things that are hard to understand. So when I say the Bible's clear, I'm not saying that there aren't things in the Bible hard to understand, but what I'm saying is... And this is what I mean by the clarity of Scripture. The main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. And that's what we want you looking for when you're reading the Bible with other people. You don't need to go down this rabbit hole, okay? That you might be tempted to go down because it's hard to understand. Now maybe you want to do that on your own, but maybe not with two other people, okay? So we want to look at what's clear in the text that we're reading. And we're trying to understand... As we observe it, what does it mean? And that's the M in coma, meaning. So, what's the C? Context. What's the O? Observation. What's the M? Okay, let's talk about that one for just a minute. Here are some good questions for meaning. How does it relate, what you've read, how does it relate to what is before and after it? You need to know the things that come before and the things that come after it. As you'll see this morning in the message at the end of chapter 12 of Hebrews, it's important to understand what comes before the passage that I'm going to read this morning and that we're going to focus on because it's relevant to what's in the text. The paragraph at the end of Hebrews 12 that we're going to look at this morning. So that's important. So we need to back up maybe just a little bit and remember what we read the week before and see how the, the thought was flowing what the reasoning process is or the, the flow of thought is that Paul or whoever has written the book is giving. So what does it relate or how rather does it relate to what is before after it? Number two, how does it relate to Jesus? That's a really important question. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of God is the word of Christ because the Bible is about Christ ultimately. So 
Ask yourself that question as you read. How does this relate to Jesus? How does, what does it teach me about God? Two very important questions when you're reading the Bible, and especially when you're reading with two other people to ask. How does it relate to Jesus? What does it teach about God? And then finally, think to yourself, how would I summarize its meaning in my own words? How would you summarize the main point or points of this text in your own words? How would you paraphrase it? That's a helpful thing for you to do with the two people who are with you. And again, you're learning together. You're learning together. That's what discipleship is. We're all helping each other. That's what discipleship is. And then the A is application. And please don't, don't stop without getting to application. How does this passage challenge or confirm my understanding. Maybe you understand things to mean certain things or to be this way, but maybe the text challenges what you've always thought, the way you've understood certain things in the Bible or what it means to live the Christian life in this particular area. So, does this passage challenge or does it confirm or maybe clarify a little bit better what I had understood to be the case as it relates to this particular matter? And then another good question, is there an attitude I need to change? Is there an attitude that I need to change in light of what we're learning here, in light of what this means? And then how does this passage call me to change the way I live and believe? Two very important questions to constantly be asking yourself when you're reading the Bible by yourself or whether you're reading the Bible with a couple of other people. So the final sentence there, I think, is my effort to summarize. And then I want you to look at a few verses in Acts that just, again, just emphasize the Word. Because I want you to see how clear it is that God's Word is God's power. And God's Word is the, the what we have in God's Word is the message and the truth that God uses to transform lives. But here's, the, here's sort of the summary of what I think I'm trying to say this morning. We read the Bible together because the Word of God has a vitality authority and clarity of its own. And it proclaims the message and truth that produces the fruit of more and better disciples of Jesus. So turn with me to Acts and we'll finish here just by walking through these texts. So once you get there, you're, it's going to be easy to get to the next one because they're in order Acts chapter 2, verse 41. This, of course, the day of Pentecost. So those who received his word, that is Peter's word, he was preaching God's word. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So again, notice the word. Then drop down to chapter 4, verse 4. And many of those who had heard the word, there it is again, believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. All right, then turn over to 8, 14. Acts 8, 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them... Peter 
and John. So again, the word of God had spread and they had heard the word. Chapter 10, verse 44. 1044, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. God's Spirit works through the word to, to bring conversion and to bring sanctification. Okay, 11.1, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. The word, word, is all over the book of Acts. Chapter 12, verse 24. And this is a, an amazing summary. But the word of God increased and multiplied. That's quite a sweeping summary, really, of what was happening as the gospel was spreading. 1349. Again, continuing to spread, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Okay, just a couple more. Look at 1711. Now these Jews, Paul was in the synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So we're talking about the Old Testament scriptures, the, the Hebrew Bible. They were making sure that what Paul said was true about Christ and what he had said about Christ was in fact there and confirmed and predicted in the Hebrew Bible. And it was. 1811, And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And then the last one that we'll look at is 1920. So the word of the Lord continued to increase, and look at this, prevail mightily. God's word has, a, has the power to prevail, to conquer to overthrow our unbelief and our, um, our sin. So that's why we want our triads to read the Word of God together and to seek to understand it together and apply it together and in that context to share burdens with one another, to support one another, to encourage one another. Um, and there are other things in the coming classes that will add to what we've talked about this morning as sort of an initial uh, introduction to what we're talking about. Do you have any questions? We've got just a couple of minutes that we could do that before donut time begins, right? <laughs> All right. I know the priorities. Yeah. All right. Any questions? Any, anything come to mind? Can you imagine? 303 people in direct or indirect connection to our church who are getting together in groups of three to read the Bible, to learn, to understand what it means and to apply it to our lives and to encourage each other and to lift one another up 
and to bear burdens. Yes. If our heart is, you know, if we love God's word and we love God, then we'll naturally love to hear his voice in what we're reading and learn. And that'll, that'll spread. Others will have that same desire. It is. It is very practical and pretty simple, and I think you guys will really enjoy reading the book, and it will kind of maybe further clarify some things that I've muddled maybe this morning a little bit here and there. So, Okay, let's pray again as we are dismissed. And again, here are the books. Let's, uh, let's, let's see how should we do this. I guess we can trust you guys, maybe, right? One per couple, family. And uh, you and your wife, you and your spouse, read this together. If you're, of course, a single, you can have a book, clearly, and uh, read it. Lord, thank you again for this, for this time. And f I pray as we begin to envision this, as we begin to uh, think about how and who and when about these, uh, uh, in terms of these triads, I pray that you would guide us and that you would use this so that more disciples are made and so that better disciples are made, so that we are all helping one another um, grow and understand and remember and be uh, affected and challenged and shaped by your word as we share in our, own, um, in our own lives the things we're learning and how you're working in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the books are here. We'll put them on the first two rows here on these sides, these two sides. <clears throat> this podcast has been a service of South Canyon Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this production has been an encouragement to you. May God bless you.